Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. No icing for the first time in 39 years. The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Two-year absence, the Boston Celtics are NBA champions once again. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Hello, hello, welcome to episode 11 of the 617 Sports Podcast. It's good to be back. I did a wild card prediction episode with Josh, uh, so I didn't really do a formal episode. Uh, There was no most important 90 minutes of your day. You might have noticed that. Uh, And uh, it's good to just be me and you in front of the microphone. Always love having Josh on. Always love a second opinion on things, but... I also just like the sound of my own voice sometimes. But it's the first real official podcast of 2020. One. 2021. We've got a ton to talk about. We're on the dawn of the Bruins season. The Celtics are now 10 games into their season. And uh, NFL wildcard playoffs over. Looking at the divisional round. No Patriots. No Patriots football at all going to be an interesting episode but let's get into the most important 90 seconds of your day i know you guys missed that the first one of 2021 most important 90 seconds of your day it's going to be a lot longer than 90 seconds so let me just warn you but we're starting now nfl playoffs browns and bills both get their first playoff wins in two decades browns beat the steelers sunday night bills beat the indianapolis colts the seattle seahawks fire their offensive coordinator after uh, a disappointing loss to the Los Angeles Rams. The Seattle Seahawks season is over. Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston. He, he does not like the new signing of Nick Casario to be the, the general manager. He felt left out during the process. He wants to be gone. DeAndre Hopkins has supported him. Andre Johnson has supported him. So look to see Deshaun Watson potentially hit the trade market for the Houston Texans and Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots, was uh, prompted by uh, the president to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, I believe. Uh, It's the highest honor that a civilian can win. Yet, due to the domestic terrorist attack that took place in the Capitol building during the congressional certification of the 2020 election, uh, Bill Belichick is opting to not go to the White House and accept this medal. Uh, The optics of it for him probably didn't look good. And, uh, yeah, don't really like to talk politics, but that happened. Uh, Going to the NHL, the season tomorrow, January 13th, starts with the Flyers and the Penguins. Puck drops at 5.30, just as everyone's getting home from work on NBC Sports. The Bruins kick off, or really, uh, drop the puck on their season uh, on the 14th. That is going to be against New Jersey at 7 o'clock. And uh, Zidane Chara 
gone from the Boston Bruins, going to the Washington Capitals. Uh, feels like he's got more in the tank. The Bruins obviously didn't agree with him. And that makes Patrice Bergeron the newest captain of the Boston Bruins. Finally, the Bruins announced that Will O'Ree, uh, his number 22, will hang in the rafters at TD Garden and no one will wear his number again. He was the first African-American uh, for the Bruins in the NHL. And it's about time that they recognize his legacy. Going to the NBA, cancellations all across the league. The Boston Celtics have missed three games. They're probably going to miss more than that due to some po uh, po COVID-positive test results coming in the last couple of days. Rob Williams tested positive. That made guys uh, that were in close contact with him need to miss time. Jason Tatum is positive with COVID-19. That also makes guys like Jalen Brown questionable to play due to the league's protocol. Also, Kyrie Irving walks away from the Brooklyn Nets, says he's taken personal time. It was right after the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol. People thought it was linked to that. Nope. He was chilling at a birthday party. There's videos of him not wearing a mask. He's just never contacted the coach or the team, just basically walked out on them. Uh, not looking good in Brooklyn. In the MLB blockbuster trade, Francisco Lindor, Carrasco of the uh, Cleveland Indians traded to the New York Mets. We knew Lindor was on the move potentially due to uh, uh, contract disputes with the Cleveland Indians. But they're going to send him and their great pitcher, Carlos Carrasquez, to the New York Mets. Liam Hendricks of the Oakland Athletics, great closer, great bullpen arm. He is going to the Chicago White Sox. He had a 1.78 ERA and had the second most uh, saves in the MLB just last season. Quickly going to the NCAA for the football uh, college football playoff is over. Alabama beat Notre Dame. Ohio State beat Clemson, Trevor Lawrence last game. And they met last night in the NCAA College Football Championship. Alabama smacks Ohio State. They do so with their Heisman Trophy winning. Wide receiver Devontae Smith had three touchdowns in the game, although also got injured. Alabama and Nick Saban. Uh, more Nick Saban rather gets his seventh championship six of those with Alabama he's uh, cemented himself as the greatest college football head coach of all time that was the most important 90 seconds of your day probably more like 300 seconds uh, but we get to talk Boston sports and I am starting off with the news that broke literally an hour after I recorded the last podcast and that was news that uh, Zidane Chara was walking away from the Boston Bruins and uh, citing that he wasn't able to uh, reach any sort of contract agreement with, this, with the Bruins or the Bruins kind of thought that he might be going on the move, you know, might not want to play him anymore, kind of like your washed up dude. He obviously goes to um, to Washington because he feels like he's got more to play. So I just kind of want to talk a little bit about this. My knee-jerk reaction. I heard the news. And if the news just came out that Chara was, was retiring, I would have said, man, good for you, Zidano. You came here in, in, the, in 2006, I believe. Yep, 2006. You were named the captain the second you came to the Bruins organization from Ottawa. A couple years go by, half a decade at that and you etch your name on the Stanley Cup. I'll never forget 
that image of Chara with the Stanley Cup over his head screaming, skidding around the Vancouver Canucks ice as he finally captivated that Stanley Cup victory. That was my screensaver for probably too long. You brought this city a lot of joy. Two other Stanley Cup appearances, ultimately losses to the Chicago Blackhawks and the St. Louis Blues. You were the definition of a true team leader in the locker room, on the ice, in the streets of the community. Uh, you you made Bruins hockey great again. Um, and pat on the back. That's if he retired. Chara's still going to play in the NHL. And this feels wrong. We just saw Brady go down to Tampa, but I didn't have the same reaction. Like, I thought Brady had some some stuff left in the tank. Obviously, he threw for 380 yards in the playoffs last year, uh, just last weekend, so he clearly still has it in the tank. But Chara's been washed up. He's been slow. He's been very liable. Uh, teams could just kind of skate around him. He, he does have a long reach, but, you know, having the longest stick in the NHL doesn't mean you can keep up with you know some of the fastest players on the planet anymore he's in his 40s and I'm, I'm almost I don't want to say I'm angry at him I'm certainly not angry at the Bruins though it was time to walk away absolutely time to walk away from Zidane Chara. but how does he not understand that look it's over uh, I, I don't know what you have left to try and accomplish. I, I don't think Washington's winning the Stanley Cup this year. So, you know, are you just clinging on to the last year or two of, of your NHL career? Like, I don't understand. You know you don't have it in the tank. The Bruins, the team that has made you the player that you are, kind of came to you and said, look, man, you don't got it anymore. We're, we're not doing this again. We gonna prove him wrong? I I don't know. This is a bad look for Chara, uh, and and I'm usually all for a guy you know sticking it to an organization that doesn't believe in him anymore. Look, I've been the biggest fan of Tom Brady in Tampa. Uh, I think in certain situations you're wrong, but look at look at what we did with Bobby Orr playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. That just didn't look right, did it? at the end of his career and it's really a stain and I think that's what this will be you'll pull up the Zidane Chara, you know stats career stats list you know five ten years from now or or 20 years from now when you're telling you know your kids oh man this was one of the best Bruins when I was growing up and it'll say Ottawa for a couple years and it'll be bam 14 years with the Boston Bruins, three Stanley Cup appearances, one championship. He was the captain the day he signed here. And then you'll see one year, 2021, Capitals. Just doesn't look right. And I'm a little, a little hurt, a little like, what are you doing? Just hang it up, man. Go out with the Bruins. Go out with the team that you're linked to forever and don't burn any bridges and this isn't burning bridges i shouldn't feel this way i know that it's a little it's a little odd but i can't help but look at him in a, in a capitals jersey and just gag 
shouldn't be this way, but this is an instance where I side with the franchise. The player had nothing left in him. And he knows it. The Bruins know it. Clearly, the Washington Capitals don't know it because uh, they're still paying him, and he's still going to go out there and skate with them. And I just I just don't get it. But I want to salute Zidane Chara and just say thanks. Again, you brought tough-nosed hockey back to the city of Boston. You brought the first championship in 41 years, I believe. You can hear the call, or 39 years from uh, in the intro. You, you brought the Stanley Cup back to, to Boston. You made sure that this team was always going to be tight-knit. This team, every year, these players love each other. They play hard for each other, and that starts from the captain down. He's the definition of a team captain. You know, you think of guys to wear the C on their chest in Boston sports. It's guys like Jason Veritek who just got it. You know, he didn't necessarily wear it, but Kevin Garnett was the captain of that 08 team. He just knew what it meant. You're tough, you're accountable, you show up every day, you do your job. Zidane Chara was that in every single way. So I want to say thank you for the Stanley Cup. Thank you for the memories. Fastest slap shot in NHL history. All the fights, the broken nose, the... The fact that you still don't wear a, a, a shield around your eyes. You're the last player that doesn't wear a shield in front of your eyes. Just want to say thank you. Salute to the captain. But I wish it was ending just with you walking away from the game and not putting on another team's jersey. But with that being said, I want to transition to the 2021 Bruins. We are on the brink of a new season. And the buzz isn't in the air. Maybe it's because I, you can't really go out and see people and talk about the games at bars and all the stuff that you used to do, uh, given everything going on in the world. But I think just with the Bruins in general, you had this feeling last year. Obviously, it wasn't in January, but it was at the start of the season, and you had just come off a Game 7 loss at home in the Stanley Cup Finals. But you felt like you could run it back. Same team. Chara, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, McAvoy, Krug, DeBrusque. I mean, these guys. Charlie Coyle, let's go. Tuka Rask. You know? And last year went on. They were looking pretty good. They were on, you know, on pace to win the President's Trophy. And season stops in its tracks there's a lot of buzz around David Pasternak might be uh you know the leading scorer in the NHL it was just a great time and then it stops the world stops we get this Toronto bubble extremely underwhelming for the Bruins you you see Tuka Rask leave for personal reasons some of the guys come back they're out of shape they're like injured and like slow you end up making it to the second round of the playoffs just to get absolutely weed whacked by the Tampa Bay Lightning who ended up winning the Stanley Cup that year and it just now uh, you know you lose Tory Krug and you lose Chara but again that was okay by me 
You don't really address the goalie position. You're just going to kind of stay pat, which I understand, but let's hope Tukarask just doesn't walk away from the team again. Uh, and you're left with, you know, this feeling on the eve of the NHL season, not not super stoked. And maybe it's just going to take a couple games. And maybe it's just, you know, the the fact that so far uh, the Bruins haven't been this team where you can see them getting better like each and every year. Like the Celtics, it's been like, okay, we've got these young pieces. Each and every year we're getting better. With the Bruins, it's more like every year you're closer to the end. And it's like, when are we going to start a season and you can just tell Bergeron doesn't have it anymore? Or you can just see that David Krejci is, you know, even taking more steps back. And I worry that that could be this year, given the weird delays and weird layoffs and not that much practice and spring, not spring training, but not that much preseason and everything like that. I worry that this is the season where some of these guys who everyone keeps saying, you know, hey, they're long in the tooth, blah, 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 they're going to look it. That might be this year, and that could be the reason why this buzz isn't really uh, existing. Instead, it's more, oh, hey, cool, Bruins are on. All right, something to watch, especially with the Celtics not playing due to COVID. That's the other thing. We'll see how long the Bruins even get to play. And I'm, I'm going to give the NHL an opportunity they could have a very different approach than the other sports leagues. We see the NFL got through the regular season, but it was weird. They had a lot of hiccups. We had it here with Cam Newton in New England. The Celtics started the season pretty good. Everything's going well, and boom, hit a wall. Three, four games getting delayed at least. Your star player has COVID, so that's not a good situation. We'll talk about that. You know, the Red Sox sucked, so who cares? But really interested to see how the Bruins and just the NHL as a whole handle things. I'm wishing them the best of luck. But let's get into some of the X's and O's of the season. I'm not going to do a mega prediction podcast like I did with the NFL, I mean the NBA, only because I don't watch the NHL as uh, intensely as I do. I will watch the Bruins, but it's hard to get me to watch you know, some random Ottawa versus Calgary game. Just, you know, I'm just not that into it. But I will always watch my, my Bruins. And I wanted to look at, well, how can the Bruins, despite the age and the lack of, uh, what's the word, buzz, I guess I keep using, lack of excitement around, you know, I'm seeing, like, I'm driving around, I don't see that many Bruins flags as I used to, and, you know, the, the sports radio that I do listen to, which... Don't listen to those guys. 617 Sports Podcast. Look, I'm, I'm the beacon of light in the Boston sports media. I know it, but I do listen to the other people. No one's talking about the Bruins. Still talking about the uh, Patriots. Like, hey, fun fact, their season ended three weeks ago. And, you know, they're, they even hear, like, Red Sox stuff. Like, I love the Red Sox. I will gladly talk the Red Sox. But let's just – I don't care about this trade that might happen in – two months from now I care about the season that's starting in two days that's the Bruins and it's like these guys can't force themselves to even address it it's kind of sad that's not me I'm talking Bruins and look we've got a new division we've got uh the Sabres the Devils the Islanders the Rangers the Flyers the Penguins and the Capitals that's all we're playing this season so it's just going to be a heavy dose of the same teams 
and I was worried this wasn't going to help the Bruins. You're not going to get some of those easier games, you know, that you normally would against lesser opponents. But I kind of did some numbers, and I'm actually feeling a little okay about the Bruins. In the 2020-2019-2020 season, which I know is very short, the Bruins uh, only had a losing record to are they a losing record to two teams two teams in this whole division they were one and three against the capitals and they were one and two against the flyers and looking at it just from a snapshot those are probably two of the teams that are going to give you the toughest problems because they're playoff teams last year i know the islanders are pretty good too but those were playoff teams last year those are going to be um the thorn in your side i think And the Capitals, look, they tried to upgrade the goalie position, and sadly they just had this injury to Henrik Lundqvist, a heart condition. He's had surgeries, like, all power to him. Hopefully he gets better. But that was an improvement that they thought they made, and then they didn't. We obviously know that they're getting Zdeno Chara. Uh, I think that's more of a detriment than it is to anything, and I'm not sure that he'll bring the same, you know, off-ice benefits because you know he doesn't really set the culture because he's just walking into it for the first time so i'm not really even sure you're going to get that like leadership from him he'll be a good guy to talk to but i'm not sure he's going to be like you know the same because it's not his team you know it's ovechkin's team and that's okay but shouldn't be his team but very interested to see how it all how it all plays out Given the fact that there's only two teams that they had a losing record to in the last season, uh, if you want to know, if you add everything up, you do all the numbers, they were 14-8 and against this newly aligned division. I forget exactly what they're calling the division. East Division. So just the East. They were 14-8 and last year. They played uh, the New York Rangers very well. They went 3-0. They played the Buffalo Sabres very well. Went 3-0 as well, uh, against them. So they've got a couple teams that they swept last year in their season meetings. And then uh, they went 2-1 against the Penguins, the Islanders, and the New Jersey Devils. But I want to highlight that uh, if you extrapolate this to like the 52-game season that they're supposed to have, then that would yield a record of 33-19. and Now that's probably going to be good for you know one or two in your division but it's probably not going to be the best in the league but think about teams that we don't have to play anymore the Toronto Maple Leafs who the Bruins have had some struggles with aren't going to be there the Tampa Bay Lightning you're not going to have to play at least you know until the playoffs so you, you get an opportunity to look you know you're getting a weak New Jersey Devils team who's had a lot of shakeup recently you're getting a Buffalo Sabres team that hasn't beat you I mean you swept them the year before that too I think it's been like two years since you've lost to the Sabres and it's only really going to help the Bruins I think when you're playing the same teams so frequently because I just give Bruce Cassidy and this veteran group a lot of credit when you can say look these guys make adjustments and uh, they're a team that's built to figure out how to beat you 
and kind of beat you at your own game. Yeah, they're not the most physical team. They're not the fastest team. But they play with a lot of heart, and they play with their minds. They're smart. A very, very intelligent hockey team. And, you know, I think 33-19, and 19, I think you'll see a little bit of an improvement over that. I think you're going to be closer to, like, 35, 36 wins. And, you know, I think Washington has an opportunity to kind of beat up on you. Just given the fact that that's a team that you've consistently had struggles with. And I think the Philadelphia Flyers are a team that, look, they're on the come up. They're a team that's been extremely... Uh, relevant in the playoffs for some time now it's it's kind of like you know you remember the flyers when they beat us after you know having a 3-0 deficit um but you can't you can't act like you know they're just a nobody they made the playoffs last year and they looked pretty good doing it i just i just wonder what's it gonna look like when the bruins get to kind of figure them out I think Washington's going to get the better of you. I've already said that. I don't know if the Flyers are. I don't know how well the coaching is there. I don't watch them that much. They won 41 games last year. You know, so they were, uh, you know, they had 89 points on the season. That's very, very good. Not going to act like they're a bunch of scrubs, but the Bruins, Bruins were better than that just last year. Bruins had 100 points. Now, they had a lot of, you know, they only had a couple more wins, but they had a lot more of those overtime losses. You know, you remember they went like a whole stretch where they didn't lose a game in regular uh, regular time. I think it was like February, something like that. So, you know, this is a team that, yeah, did they beat you a couple times last year? Sure. Do I think they're going to do it consistently? No. Bruins will have the advantage there. Again, we're going to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that, kind of is getting up there too Sidney Crosby is you know he's still one of the greatest players but he's not the greatest player in the entire league anymore and they were a team last year that you were able to beat you know the two out of the three times you played and they only had 86 points last year so again I expect the Bruins to figure them out playing them on a more consistent basis and finally walking away uh, from that series with a win. So the, the Bruins have a real opportunity to take advantage of this schedule. This isn't a strong division. It's it's just not. And, you know, to to look at some of the other divisions, like, geez, you know, I feel, I feel bad for, you know, teams that have to play, like, you know, the Dallas, look at, look, look at the Central Division. They pulled a lot of teams that you had to play. They've got the Stars, who we know made a, a a run to the Stanley Cup last year. They've got the Tampa Bay Lightning that made a run to the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. We obviously know how good those teams are. Uh, that division also features uh, the Carolina Hurricanes who and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Those were two playoff teams last year. Obviously, the Bruins got the better of the Blue Jackets in the playoffs. That's a tough division. That's a very tough division. You know, you look at the West, who's got the Colorado Avalanche. They've got the San Jose Sharks, the the St. Louis Blues, Anaheim Ducks. Those are some top teams. Obviously, we know the North Division is only Canadian teams, and that's probably the worst division that they have. It's, it, it's, it's all the teams up in Canada, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, uh, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. 
So I think out of all these, the Bruins are in the second easiest one to win. Second easiest. Your, your toughest opponents is the Washington Capitals and the Philadelphia Flyers. Maybe the New York Islanders. I guess I should give the Islanders some credit. They were a very good team last year. They finished with 35 wins and only 10 overtime losses. So, you know, the Bruins had the had the best of them. I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of I've kind of pulled myself from the depths of despair when Tory Krug left and and obviously worrying about age. I'm excited. Bruins hockey is back. Finally might get a little bit of normalcy. I hope the season stays uh, on pat on pace to finish because you know, there's nothing better than when the Bruins are playing mean- meaningful hockey down the stretch. That Stanley Cup run in 2019, Stanley Cup run that they made in 2013 and in 2011, those are just some of the most exciting sports moments you'll ever have. And I'm going to be honest with you, hockey is not my number one sport. I don't watch a lot of out-of-market games. But when the Bruins are on, they're playing scrappy, playing physical, they're lighting the lamp, uh, scoring, being the smarter team on the ice, not taking dumb penalties, but standing up for your guys when you have to, getting into a couple fist fights, you know, these these high adrenaline moments, game sevens, you know, must wins. It's the greatest thing in sports for the city of Boston. And I really hope that they can get one more cup for some of these guys, Marchand, Bergeron, Krejci. I hope Rask gets the the Stanley Cup that he's been trying so hard to get, get that monkey off his back. So this is the year to do it. If they're going to do it, it's this year. You're in an easy division. Easy division. Just beat Washington. Just beat the Flyers. And you you're one of the top teams. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, like I said, I'm going to go with uh, 35 and 17 for the Bruins' regular season record. You can call it here first. And uh, I think they win this division. I think Washington's going to be good. But a couple of those goals, you're going to see David Pasternak juke out Zdeno Chara. Maybe, hopefully, justify my some subtle anger towards the fact that he's playing for them. I don't know. That's my Bruins take opening the season. 35 wins, 17 losses. Obviously, you know, the overtime losses, I'm not going to try to predict that. And hopefully their COVID protocols are better than what's going on in the NBA. Because your Boston Celtics, as I transition, you like that little slide transition? Your Boston Celtics aren't playing tonight, and they should be. They didn't play a couple days ago, and they should be. They're probably not going to play Friday because the NBA is so stupid. (laughs) I'm going to call it like it is. They're just so full of themselves. They had the benefits of finishing a season in a bubble in the Orlando Disney complex, and then they got to just watch what the NFL did. And they could somewhat watch what baseball did. And up until now, I actually gave the NBA a ton of credit. I said, you know what? I loved the bubble because I didn't have to worry if the game was going to be canceled or not. 
I didn't have to worry if Jason Tatum wasn't going to show up, or LeBron, or Giannis. Those guys were going to be there every day, healthy, ready to go. You didn't even blink an eye. That was wonderful, wonderful closure to the season. Then everything happens to start the regular season. And they say, we're going to try to let people be with their families. We're going to try to play in your home arenas. Guys are going to be in masks. Coaches, masks. Testing out the wazoo. And I support it. Adam Silver, you had me. The season tipped off and everything was going smooth. And then you started to have the inevitable happen with a couple of guys testing positive. And the NBA just acts as if there's zero possibility of on-court transmission. So that means that if a player is on the court and they're unknowingly COVID positive and they interact with their team, they interact with the other team on offense and defense, they act as if that contagious individual cannot spread it to those on the floor. It's only when he's sitting on the bench and the two guys, one on his left, one on his right, those are the two guys that are quote-unquote close contact and that's the only people that need to quarantine. You know how stupid that is? You know how ignorant that is? And I get it. You can't necessarily admit that your sport is going to lead to on-court transmission because you know you would just your game's over at that point but to try to tell me that when Jason Tatum took the court against the Washington Wizards and the next day he tests positive we I watched the entire game he's in the huddle he's high-fiving teammates uh, after they make free throws and layups and all this stuff he's getting hype he's backing down defenders hitting shots in their face he's also guarding them one-on-one looking them in the eyes waiting at the scorer's table to check in next to these guys in the locker room before the game, practice, maybe the day before the game. COVID positive, and there's only two guys that got to worry about it. Come on, Adam Silver, NBA, that's beyond negligible. You're just putting people's lives at risk now. And you force them to go out there and play. Now, the Celtics didn't have to, but the 76ers did. Seth Curry comes down with it. A couple of guys are sitting out. The 76ers try to pull a fast one by immediately putting the uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the injured list so they'd be seven players and couldn't play. NBA didn't like that, so they forced them to go. But come on. These, the, the, these teams that only have eight guys going... And it's like, you know, bottom of the barrel bench players are getting out there putting in 35 minutes a game. Do we really need that? And I don't know the solutions. But I think part of what needs to happen is the NBA has to recognize that more than just sitting on the bench can lead to spread. More than just hey, uh, we drove together in a car, is going to spread it. How about they're in a huddle next to the coach, he's breathing heavy, because, <sighs> you know, he's just done dropping 30 on Bradley Beal's head, and he's breathing, 
and he's hustling. He's, do you ever see a bunch of Jason Tatum sweats, by the way? Oh, my God. Guy looks like he has, like, you know, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge five minutes into the game. I mean, he's just dripping. That's besides the point. You know, but these guys, they're breathing heavy. It's sweaty. It's just, you know, and it's in this arena that's, you know, closed. It's not like they're playing, you know, pickup game at, you know, down, down the road where everything's outside. It's in this closed arena. The air is sitting there, just sitting there right when they breathe it out. It's not going anywhere. It's not moving. And you're going to act like only two guys could have been exposed. I mean, that's just, that's inexcusable. So to try to fix the issues, because the Celtics aren't the only team that's had to forfeit. In fact, the game, or not forfeit, but postpone. In fact, the game against Miami wasn't the Celtics' fault. That was actually Miami's fault. They couldn't field a team. Now the Dallas Mavericks are having some issues. Kevin Durant's out. He already had COVID. Just because he was a close contact, boom, 7 to 10 days, you're gone. Philadelphia, I already mentioned them. So it's spreading. It's not just one or two teams. It's four. It's five. And guess what? The more these teams play other teams, you know, the Wizards, what if they start testing positive? Bradley Beal just had to enter the protocol because he, after the game, had a conversation with Jason Tatum. So Jason Tatum could have a conversation on the bench with Taco Fall the whole game. That's in the game, so it doesn't count. But five minutes after the game, he daps up Bradley Beal, who's from St. Louis, just saying hi hey we both just got buckets tonight i got the better of you but uh you know joshing around with them and they're like oh bradley beal sorry that was uh, not during the game so we're gonna have to put you in uh isolation taco fall hey man you spent more time with tatum you're fine it was all game related so we don't care it's just stupid man it gets me angry these are people's lives are putting at risk they got families and look i'm not even gonna put it out there in the air but the Celtics in player health, let's just say, I hope to God everybody stays healthy, that there's no pre, I mean, that there's no prolonged effects from this. Guys get healthy and we just put it behind us because some scary stuff has happened in the Celtics history. So let's just, you know, this is serious. Take it serious. Adam Silver slash NBA. So they roll out these new things. We've got, uh, you know, when you're at the at a hotel on a road trip, you can't leave. They used to have this list of approved restaurants that's been eviscerated. Now it's just uh, sit in your hotel and get get room service. Anybody that's living at home with you, you got to get tested twice a week. You cannot have meetings in the locker rooms, no masks, for five minutes. All meetings have to be like out on the court, basically. Uh, if you're coming out of the game, we have a separate area where you can cool off and not need to wear a mask. But if you're sitting on the bench, mask it. I actually agree with some of these. But like, why aren't you doing this from the start? Why do you have a guy that just checked out of a game running around for, I don't know, 10 minutes breathing heavy you're gonna put that guy in a mask we want him to have a like a asthma attack some players have asthma i don't know that many that do in the nba but you ever you ever like like exercised in a mask or done a lot of uh aerobic movements and then throw a mask on not fun i tried to run in a mask just to see how difficult it would be uh thought i had asthma i don't but might have 
that day because that was brutal. So how do you expect these guys, these top athletes in the world, to just slap a mask on immediately? Like, you should have had this little area since the season tipped off. But I'll give you a little bit of credit that you're clamping down. I just don't know how you're going to do this. How are you going to ensure that the players don't have someone come to their room? How are you going to be able to ensure that a couple guys don't go out to a restaurant? You still got teams traveling all over the country. You're in you know, a city that's got some nice restaurants open, and hey, it's the only time I'm in Houston. Might as well go get my favorite little restaurant. I'm only here once. You're going to put, like, you know, uh, you know, people, like, home arrest bra- braces on these people, you know, the ankle monitors, and trace everybody. Oh, wait a minute. We saw Jason Tatum had a breach. He uh, he walked out of his hotel. He was like, yeah, man, I just, can, can I go for a walk? Can I just go for a walk? Apparently not. Just sit in your room. Just, I don't know, can't bring your Xbox or anything because, you know, you're on the road. So I don't know what the NBA wants these guys to do, but uh, it's going to get messy. And I'm not sure that even these new adjustments are going to be enough to correct the correct the situation. But let's talk about what was going on before we had this outbreak, before the team uh, basically uh, became the most infected team in the league. We were balling. Balling. 7-3 and three is the record. Jason Tatum leads the team in scoring. He's got 26.9 points per game. But Jalen Brown's right behind him with 26.3. Jalen Brown has also really elevated his game. We're going to get into some more of the numbers in a bit. But just to give you some of the other team leaders, Tristan Thompson's leading the team in rebounds with 8.5. Pretty even split between offense and defense. I like that. He hasn't been the machine that I wanted him to be. And Brad Stevens has been deploying this two-big lineup with him and Tice to start the game. Haven't loved that. But can't say that Tristan Thompson hasn't come here and done what he's supposed to do, which is grab boards. Marcus Smart's leading the team in assists. It's getting almost six and a half a game. He's also significantly decreased his you know shots per game. And uh, you know he's averaging an extremely efficient 12.2 points per game. And uh, Jalen Brown is leading the team in steals, 1.7. Robert Williams leading in blocks with 1.5. However, the Celtics uh, did drop some games to some teams, or, or some games were close, closer than you wanted to see. Since we last talked, uh, the Celtics beat up on the Memphis Grizzlies. They beat them by 20 points, but that's not fair because the Grizzlies didn't have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. Those are some of their young studs. It'll be like the Celtics not playing with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. However, they did what they needed to do and won the game. Then you hit Detroit, a game I thought, a a little mini-series because you played two games in a row, I thought you could do some damage. And you ended up losing the first game 90 Six to ninety-three. Not great. Very bad game from the the offensive standpoint. Not even cracking a hundred points against a team that coming into this game was three and three, again or, or two and three rather, and has since scuffled greatly. I'm sorry. No, they were that was their first one of the season. Detroit, and then you beat them the next night, one twenty-two to one twenty. 
So a team that's bad, like the Detroit Pistons are very bad. They currently are uh, ranked 21st in the league points per game and 24th in the league in points allowed. So I guess their defense is pretty good, but they don't score. They don't really uh, shoot the ball very well. And they're only two wins in the season. One of them came against you. So I don't love that this was a game that was close twice, twice. You drop a game, listen, you're going to lose games. I get that. The next night, same team, uh, make the adjustments and blow them out of the water. And again, you have to play hero ball down the stretch and only win by two points. Then you get Toronto. Horrible start of a back-to-back. You end up winning that game 126-114. to Toronto's not the team that they were last year. Certainly not the team that they were when they won the uh, the Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup, oh my God. When they won the NBA Finals. So you wax them. Then you get Miami. And you have to play Taco Fall for like 25, 30 minutes. Because Robert Williams isn't available. And a couple other guys, because of the COVID protocols, have to sit out. So you're getting big contributions from players that normally aren't even on the court. And you win. 107 and 105. That was a lot closer. This game was not as close as the score is. This was a 10-point game with a minute left, and the Celtics blow it and end up needing a magnificent shot to win the game. And then finally, Washington. I'm sorry. Oh, I had these games backwards. Washington is the game where you see Taco Fall playing significant amounts of minutes. This was a game where the Celtics win 116-107. So the Celtics, since that loss to Detroit, are on a four-game win streak. But Bradley Beal goes off on the Celtics. Jason Tatum is the leading scorer in that game against Washington with 32 points. And then he gets COVID. Haven't seen the Celtics since. So in this six-game stretch or so since we last talked, one in f- uh, five and one, but more importantly is a couple guys I want to highlight. Number one is the easily the um, best draft pick not in the first round. I mean, not in the top three by Danny Ainge in a long time. And that's Peyton Pritchard. His contributions right out of the gate. He's a rookie, four-year guy. He's actually older than Jason Tatum probably newsflash to a lot of people yeah he played four years in college at Oregon older than Tatum but Peyton Pritchard has jumped in and contributed immediately he's giving the Celtics 23 minutes a game he's getting 8.5 points per game two rebounds and three assists with a steal he is uh, not turning the ball over at all for a rookie, he's only turning the ball over 1.9 times per game, which uh, is lower than what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are doing. And he's handling the ball. They're actually having to use him with Kemba's injury, with some of the COVID guys out. Uh, we're seeing Jace, uh, Peyton Pritchard come in and actually be like a run stopper. When the other team's going on a run, I'm on my couch saying, where's Pritchard? And guess what? He's never in the game when the other team's going on a run. He's a, a 
rookie that's kind of like a veteran. And he's easily capturing the love of the fan base. He's shooting 42% from three, shooting 90% from the free throw line. Again, his field goal percentage has been magnificent, shooting 50%. So he's shooting that very uh, sought-after 50-90-40. This kid is efficient. He's clean. Doesn't turn the ball over. He gets it. He makes his teammates better. Three assists a game. Extremely, extremely poised. Looks like an NBA player. Right out of college. Kemba Walker didn't know what it was going to look like with him not being able to go with the whole knee injury. This kid stepped up in a big way. Danny Ainge, I give him a lot of crap for keeping the picks. I remember when I covered the NBA draft, said this kid's not going to play. Who is he? I was so wrong. I'll admit it, 10 games in, I'm wrong. He's legit. Is he going to be a 20-point scorer? Probably not. But can he Can he give you, you know, going to give you a 12, 12, 3, and 6? Absolutely. And I'd love that. Keep doing what you're doing. He's a young guy. And I'm just sad that I can't watch them play. COVID's killing me. Sports are supposed to be the escape, not a reminder that this stuff is still going on. The other guy I want to highlight is Jalen Brown. And I know that's not really uh, highlighting some random guy. He's been one of our best players for the last three years. But what he's able to do right now uh, in the short season that we've had, 53.9, field goal, 42% from three, Field goal is a little low, 76 uh, from the free throw line, rather. He's getting six rebounds a game and three and a half assists, 26.3 points per game, and he's had a couple monster games. He dropped 31 against Detroit in that victory against, um, I guess, the Detroit. That, that second night, you absolutely need to have it. He also had 40 points. Uh, earlier in the season against, I believe it was the Miami Heat. I just want to make sure I get that right because I don't like when I'm wrong. don't like telling people hashtag fake news. Uh, nope, not the Miami Heat game. What game did Jalen Brown go off? Regardless, I'll find it and let you guys know. But he is, I, I talked about what's the gap between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Who is going to be closer to who? Is Jalen Brown going to be closer to what Jason Tatum is, being that elite scorer, that guy that the other team has to worry about? Or is Jason Tatum going to kind of trend more towards what the narrative on Jalen Brown was? Is he going to be more of that role player, part of a big three, but not the guy? Who's going to be more like who? Are they going to be two alphas or two betas? And... I don't want to jump the gun here, but seems like Jason Tatum, seems like Jalen Brown is playing more like Jason Tatum. He's more of that same killer on the court, absolutely just goes after it. And what I love about his game is it's so easy. It doesn't look like, you know, sometimes Jason Tatum looks like he has to really do a lot 
to put the ball in the net. And that's not a bad thing, but a lot of his, you know, dribbles, sidesteps, and blow, but that comes from being the focal point. It's not easy. Teams are keying in on you, so you can't just go off the way that, uh, you know, some of these supplemental pieces can sort of get open. And Jalen Brown is benefiting from Tatum's greatness. He's getting open corner looks. He's getting um, the the benefit of having, again, such a prolific scorer right there with him. And these two are young, and they're going to be together for a very long time. But here it is, Jalen Brown, 42 points against the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sorry, I had to get that. 42 points, 15 of 21 field goals, 5 for six from the free throw line that game yeah he had 42 I knew it I knew he did it all right (laughs) I was going crazy here but Jalen Brown's efficiency his ability to just effortlessly put the ball through the net he can shoot the three lights out but he can drive I think he's a little bit more ferocious at the rim he can slash a little bit better than Jason Tatum he's a much better athlete than Jason Tatum he's not the pure pure scorer I do think that um you know, in in a stretch where, geez, we were worried that we weren't going to see Tatum, I was very curious what Brown's response would be. He's now the guy. Defenses will key in on him. He doesn't have Tatum to kind of space the floor. I don't know if we're going to get to see that. Um, hopefully we don't. I want Tatum to play. But it would be very interesting. So can't uh, can't say just how happy I am that we have two guys dropping 26 a game, both of them under 24 years old, and looking like they're going to be the future for the next four or five years. I'm excited, but look at where the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Haven't played as many games as some other teams, but you can't control that. Our win percentage puts us at the top of the league. 70% win. Uh, The Lakers are on the top of the West, if people were wondering. So I do have a few stats that aren't going to make you Celtics fans feel happy, a few reservations about the Celtics and where we are in comparison to other teams, uh, not only in the Eastern Conference, but just in the NBA in general. If you go, come on, I just had these stats up. Where did they go? Uh, When you go to points per game, the Celtics are 12th in the league. Not nearly uh, bad, but they're only scoring 113 points per game. That's, again, floating around teams like you know, the uh, Atlanta Hawks, who are actually putting up 113 points. You're floating around teams like, you know, the 2-8 and eight Toronto Raptors or whatever they are, putting up 111 points. You know, Sacramento is putting up 113 points. The Warriors, who basically need Steph Curry to drop 62 to be relevant, they're scoring more than you per game. Chicago scoring more than you per game. Now, You know, all this is fine and dandy, but that worries me. You need to put the ball through the hoop. And I get it. You know, teams like the Clippers, for example, are actually below the Celtics. The uh, 
Houston Rockets are below the Celtics. They did play a couple games though. James Harden. 76ers are below us. So look, are we the worst team now? But 12, I don't like seeing a ton of teams like, you know, the the Washington Wizards who just, again, 3-8, and eight, can't really play any defense, I guess, because they're top three scoring team in the league. You're floating around, like I said, some of the middling teams. That worries me. I do want to highlight the three-point shot. Celtics live and die by the three. Uh, they've actually moved down in the list of three-point attempts per game. They're attempting 31. That's 25th in the league. Celtics are usually at the top of that list. So we're shooting less, and we're shooting at a very high percentage. Our three-point percentage is third in the league at 39.2%. So we're shooting less, but we're hitting more consistently. I like to see that turnovers that can kill you and the Celtics are 20th in the league or if you flip it on it's bad it's top 10 in turnovers 14.6 a game that's again floating around the New York Knicks you're in the company of the Minnesota Timberwolves when you start to do stuff like that so a couple of stats that I really like to see three point shot specifically a couple of things points per game turnovers that's not gonna get it done rebounds we know we're not a good rebounding team i think the addition of of um tristan thompson has actually helped out not to mention that i think jalen brown and jason tatum are a little bit better now we're no longer at the bottom of the league we're in 12 averaging uh 42 of them a game 45 of them a game sorry 45.2 so we're consistently improving in areas of concern from a couple years ago, but there's some things that I eek. Hopefully we can get better. Hard to put the ball on the net. And, um, you know, it's it's not, not the best. Now, if you go to defense, how are we playing defensively? Well, the Celtics, for points per game, opponents against us, we are 17th in the league. Teams are scoring 111.2 points. If you remember, we're scoring 112 points a game. We've been in a lot of tight, tight games. You want me to go back and read you guys the the schedule, the uh, outcome of some of these games? You lost to the Detroit Pistons by two. Then you sorry, you lost to them by three, you beat them by two. You beat Miami by two. You lost to Indiana by one. You beat Milwaukee by one. I mean, we're in a ton of close games. And I don't love how close the opponent points per game against us and our points per game are. That's it's like a fraction of a point. That needs to be a much larger gap. And, you know, it'll it'll come, certainly. But look at the Lakers. The Lakers allow 106.2 points per game. And they're scoring 114 points. That's a much better differential. They're winning their games, again, on average by eight. That's better than being, like, less than one. 
If you're going to beat the Lakers, you got to be up there in the stats with them, and right now we're not, so that worries me. If I want to go to field goal percentage, how are teams shooting against the Boston Celtics? The team is, again, 20th, 46.8% against the Celtics. That's not good. Teams are basically able to score on you at will. The three-point shot, though, is lower. We're 14th in the league. Teams are shooting 36.9% from behind the arc. I do like to see that because uh, as a team that's as a team that is showing that they're going to reduce the three-point shot again, 25th in the league in three-pointers attempted per game. If we're not going to shoot a whole lot, you better be better than what the other team's doing because you will get blown out if you don't utilize the three. We're hitting at a high percentage. We're shooting at less. Guess what? We've got teams coming in here making considerably less than us. So I like to see that. And, uh, yeah, that's about some of the big stats. that I don't want to do too many stats because some people don't like it. But overall, uh, I'm very pleased with how the season started. Again, I can't stress this enough. NBA, protect your players. Protect the players. Protect your coaches and the coaching staff. Not everyone is some 20-blank-year-old, I don't know, 22, 23-year-old uh, in the prime of their life. Some of these coaches like Greg Popovich are in their 60s. Guys have families. They're going home to their kids and their wives. So you might not care about them. Uh, uh, you know, you might not value the on-the-court transmission stuff, but you really got to take a look at it because it's a dangerous game you're playing. And I think the NBA is in the hardest spot because of just how rapidly you move through the country. The NFL only plays one game a week. And... You can easily trace and quarantine and everything like that when you're going between opponents. The Celtics play three or four different teams from three or four different cities in the span of a week. You know, even in Major League Baseball, you're playing these like series of three to four games against the same team. So, you know, throughout a week, you got to worry about, you know, maybe two opponents instead of four or five. And it's, uh, you're in a tight spot. Your game is played indoors with a lot of high volume of extremely close interaction between teams. Again, in football, you tackle a guy that's like a millisecond and you get off of him. In baseball, maybe your catcher's standing next to the guy, but guess what? They're not at face level because the catcher's squatting and the batter's standing. Maybe a guy's on first base. Well, guess what? He takes his lead and the other guy's you know, kind of away from them. They're outdoors. Most of the league. Basketball's not like that. You're very close. You're sweating on the guy. You're all, how about this? You're touching the same ball all the time. So Jason Tatum blows into his hands. Then he dribbles the basketball up the court, drains a three. Bradley Beal picks up that same ball, dribbles it a couple times, passes it, and then wipes his mouth with his hand. Guess what? Tatum's breathing onto the ball is basically breathing into his mouth. Going to act like on-the-court transmission can't happen? You know, the offense doesn't touch the ball in baseball. You hit it with a bat. Hockey, everyone's smacking a puck with sticks. No one's actually touching anything. 
And then in football, it's kind of rare. You know, you get an interception or a fumble or something, but no one's really touching the same ball, breathing on it. The way a basketball is probably just this, you know, catch-all of – I don't even actually – I've never thought about this in my life, but think about how disgusting a basketball is, you know, between everyone breathing and sweating on it and passing it around. It's actually kind of nasty. You're going to act like on-court transmission can't happen. Come on, Adam Silver. To Jason Tatum and Robert Williams, get well soon. Take the time it needs. These guys are asymptomatic. I want to highlight that. They're asymptomatic, but I'm still worried for their well-being. And uh, if the Celtics are able to navigate this rough patch, I do think that teams sometimes really only have COVID outbreaks once and then people smarten up. We saw it with the Patriots. They had their one little scuffle. Then guys realized this ain't no joke, and they tightened up. Celtics, I hope it's that same thing. Some guys who might be lucky to not catch it on the team, maybe they'll be a little less risky in some of their behavior off the court. Maybe they won't go out to eat or see that family member or friend and just FaceTime them instead. I don't know. But you hope that, hey, this is a rallying moment. We're going to get over it. Let our guys heal. Everybody else who's healthy, this is real. So take it seriously. And that's really about it. Could talk Red Sox. There's not much going on with them, sadly. That season is so far away, it's not even funny. Uh, I know that Andrew Benatendi has had his name in a lot of trade discussions just my two cents on it if he is dealt between this time and next episode uh i don't know how to feel he's probably my least favorite red Sox player from the 2018 team not named drew pomeranz uh, i don't like andrew benatendi that much i think he's way overhyped i think his hair was overhyped i don't necessarily love what he does offensively especially hitting at fenway park the guy cannot hit you know, 25 home runs to save his life, let alone get to that 30 number that we were promised when he was drafted. Um, runs the base path terribly. He, like, led the league in um, getting uh, thrown out at second and third, trying to extend hits, just putrid on the base path. And a quiet guy doesn't seem like a leader, he does make a couple of great plays. That catch from the ALCS against Houston is one of the best plays in Red Sox history. That doesn't mean that I necessarily want this guy uh, to stay around. However, Red Sox, his value could not be lower. He hit like barely cracked 100 last year. He was injured, didn't even play. And I get it. Benny is popular around here. He's popular jersey sales he's popular with you know uh certain demographics of the audience i get that you know some people will watch baseball just because benintendi is on the team people don't even really watch baseball they're like oh benny seems like a cool guy crushes beers or oh he's a good looking guy for all the ladies out there you know i know i see a lot of benintendi jerseys at fenway park and it's like man this guy doesn't deserve it So if they do move on from him, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to panic. He didn't pan out very well. And I think the 
the Red Sox and Heim Bloom are sort of in a situation where they obviously aren't going to go and overpay somebody, but they need to acquire young potential farm system guys. And I don't know what you're going to yield for Andrew Benatendi coming off of a season where he looked horrible. I don't think you're going to get a team's top 10 prospect. You know, so maybe you just hope that Alex Cora is going to be able to fix him because it's certainly not going to come from, you know, you're not going to be able to just make some massive upgrade at the position. I don't love him as a player. I just kind of blasted him. (laughs) And I understand that, you know, he wasn't great. What else can you do? Like, you won't have an outfield. Jackie Bradley Jr. is all but gone. Mookie Betts traded, so it's just going to be like Alex, you know, you traded Kevin Pillar, so it's going to be Alex Verdugo and maybe some cardboard cutouts of the from the fans in the stands, put him on the field. Like, I, who do you have? J.D. Martinez better not play the outfield. Oh, my, please no. Please no. And I, it's, it's like, I guess you just keep him. Hopefully, he can recreate that 2018 magic uh, with uh, Alex Cora, but he wasn't really great in 2019 either. He's not been good for a couple years now. If you if you look at his stats, he's only gotten worse since he came into the league in 2016. He played 34 games that season. He averaged 295. Then he hit 271 last year of. John Farrell, finally, Alex Cora figures him out. 290, awesome. World Series, great plays in the defense. 2019, 266. 2020, 103. He only played 14 games. He had 39 at-bats and got four hits in one RBI in 39 at-bats. He struck out 17 times. His strikeouts in 2018 to 19 went up from 106 to 140 with 10 less at-bats. 34 more strikeouts. Dropped his average by, guess what, 34%. Oh, sorry, 24%. His slugging percentage plummeting. 465 to 431, 128 last year. His OPS, 830, 774, 442. That's his last three years. I don't even care about wins above replacement, but that's also going down. Uh, I don't love what we're seeing from him. He's hit. Uh, 29 home runs in the last three seasons. I wanted to see him do that in one season. His RBIs are going down. His walks are going down. I mean, it's just everything's going down. The only things going up are his strikeouts. So he hasn't impressed me, but his value is literally so low right now that if you trade Andrew Benintendi, you're going to get like, I, I can't even say it's pennies on the dollar because he's not worth a dollar, but you're basically going to be getting, like, you know, uh, 
Canadian pennies for American pennies. You can't even use them anywhere. You're going to go to the store and they're going to say, it's going to be like uh, Itchy and Scratchy Bucks from The Simpsons where Homer goes to Itchy and Scratchy Land, buys the money, and then he walks in and it's like, you can't use this money here. And it's like, he's like, dope, you know, does his thing. And it's like, that's what it's going to be. You're going to be selling Andrew Benintendi for garbage right now. You should have realized the talent wasn't there earlier. You got to just hope and pray that Alex Cora can figure it out. And that's where the Red Sox are. And the New England Patriots. New England Patriots aren't playing in the playoffs. Tommy Brady lighting it up. He's playing this New Orleans Saints. I won't give away my pick for the game, but Tom Brady farther along than Bill Belichick and the Patriots are. There's a lot of discussions about Cam Newton potentially going to the Washington football team, rejoining Ron Rivera. Good riddance. See you later. I don't want him. Keep him so far away from Gillette Stadium. Uh, Mac Jones. I mean, yeah, uh, Trey Lance. These are some of the names getting thrown around in the draft. There was a Mc, McShay put together uh, from ESPN. Nope, actually, wish I didn't say that. Uh, from that, you know, evil empire of sports media that framed Tom Brady for Deflategate that never happened. Uh, that that industry that company rather put together a, a mock draft where they have Justin Fields going at 15 I don't even know if Belichick's going to draft a QB I really don't I think there's other needs that Belichick's going to say quarterback bleh. if I don't we I just saw what happens if I don't have good weapons I could put anybody in and they're going to be awful if Jacoby Myers is the number one target on the team again we're in a bad place if Ryan Izzo is our starting tight end, we're in a bad place. you got to address those first. And I actually don't blame him if that's the route he takes. But please don't go draft like some defensive lineman or some like right guard with the 15th pick. Just don't. Take a skill position player or a quarterback. Maybe even a middle linebacker. I'll take that because that's not a good position for the Patriots either. Don't, don't He'd probably draft a long snapper at 15, to be honest with you. But you got to do something to address the offense and for me don't settle uh for the best quarterback that's available at 15 if it's not the best position player go get a stud wide receiver if he's there and don't mess up like you did with harry don't draft a running back you've got a good one in damian harris who you got in like the third round you know sometimes teams will go into a draft only trying to address need and they don't actually go for skill i'd love to see the patriots go for skill take the best player on the board at a position that's either wide receiver tight end quarterback middle linebacker if the best player on the board is one of those positions take them but if it's some garbage quarterback who isn't going to really be anything other than just a guy and he's still going to have Nikhil harry to to be his number one target or Jacoby Myers, Demir Bird, that's the offense you're rolling out there. Don't waste the pick. Instead, I'd rather see, you know, Mac Jones just won the national championship. I think he could be a second round pick. I don't think a lot of people are impressed with him. And I'd actually take him if you're able to get a decent amount of weapons. Look, the Patriots offensive line, very good. Michael Unwenyu had a great season. Hopefully you can figure something out with David Andrews. 
I know Tooney's probably gone, but maybe you can get him and shore the lineup a little bit, give this kid protection, and then you get some weapons. Maybe a tight end. Pitts, he's one of the top-ranked tight ends. Maybe he's sitting there at 15. But you're going to get Mac Jones in the second round. I'm not saying he's going to last then, but if you can grab him there, or you package up and you get two first-round picks, and you get a great offensive stud with the 15th pick, and you take Mac Jones later maybe with the 30th pick, then you're doing something. Then we got some momentum. Now I can turn on the TV. Guess what? The TV viewing just came out. They lost 26% of their viewership. People lost interest in this team very quickly when your quarterback wasn't going to throw for more than 100 yards in a game and wasn't going to throw a touchdown. He, he threw five all year, six all year. So please, this draft is crucial for the future of the franchise and for the legacy of Bill Belichick because everyone wanted to know, is it Bill, is it Brady? Brady could be going to a Super Bowl with Tampa. Belichick could be in purgatory for the next five years, and that'll be how his career ends. 7-9, and 6-10, 9-7, maybe making a wild card game if he doesn't get this draft right. 15th pick, make it count. Trade up to get your quarterback. Trade uh, up to get another quarterback in the late late in the first round, keeping that 15th pick and, and getting someone at wide receiver, tight end. Do something, but you got to do something. You can't miss on this draft. And that, that's just it. Uh, there's not much more to talk about with them. I'm actually kind of glad to not talk about the Patriots because they're killing me this year. So... I'm going to kind of focus on the Bruins and the Celtics because guess what? They're the ones playing games now. For a while, it was the Patriots. They dominated the news cycle. Oh, Cam Newton, you know, what's he going to do this week? Is he going to throw for 100 yards or is he going to go throw throw for 99? Like, I don't know. He wasn't very good. You know, watching Tampa Bay. Oh, my God, Brady just had an unbelievable game. Gronk has seven touchdowns on the season. Gronk caught more touchdown passes than your starting quarterback threw. That's a stat in 2020. So I'm just done with them. Done with them. Going to uh, look forward to, again, just not having to talk about them that much. Because I'm not going to sit here and analyze the draft for four months. I'd rather talk Red Sox. If we're going to start talking about things that occur in April, I'm going to talk about the Red Sox before I'm going to talk about the NFL draft. Because I just don't care. Well, I do care, but it's just I don't want to keep talking about the same thing over and over again. So we got Celtics. We got the Bruins. Hopefully, uh... Everyone in Boston can stay healthy. And the uh, the next episode will be out Friday, and it'll be a very long, thorough dissection of the wild card weekend that we just had with the NFL, and it'll be some predictions for the divisional round. Josh is back for that. I went 4-2 and two with my picks. He went 3-3. Three and three. Who's going to be the better in the divisional round? Probably the best week of NFL football ahead of us. So I didn't want to talk about it too much here because I got an epic episode coming out Friday. Listen to it. Place your bets. Put your feet up on the couch and watch some beautiful football. And that's it for this episode of the 617 Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, everybody. Get well. Stay healthy. NBA smarten up. Protect your players. 
Let's finish the season and let's go bees. Just uh, stay healthy. Stay healthy. Let's go. Yeah.